Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. Cesar Gonzalez, the CEO and director of Sailfish Royalty Corp. Sailfish is a precious metals royalty company with assets in the Americas. Our two main assets are in Nicaragua, where we have a 3% stream and a 2% NSR surrounding one of the highest grade open pit gold mines on the planet, San Albino. And then we have a 3% NSR on Spring Valley, which is a large undeveloped gold project in Nevada and uh, some royalties in Mexico. We also have a, a gold linked loan outstanding with the company that owns San Albino, Mako Mining Corp. We're paying a dividend, just so happens to be the highest yield of any precious metals royalty company. Uh, we're sitting on cash, we're buying back shares, and that's pretty much Sailfish in a nutshell. Sounds good. So, so good to see you again. I haven't spoken to you since oh, my, and, and, end of August. There's a couple of things happened. You mentioned them there. You've lent some money to Mako. You've done, you spun out Galavanis, uh, with, with Commonwealth. It, but it's all the, the connecting factor here is Wexford. And some of these deals kind of feel to some of the people out there in the marketplace, like this is the Wexford Boys Club. You're looking after each other. Is that a fair accusation? No. Wexford is the controlling shareholder of Sailfish and Mako. Very supportive controlling shareholder, I might add. And it, you know, it's one of these relationships where, when things are going well, people criticize it. And when things are going bad and we need to go talk to the uh, CIO and founder of Wexford, Chuck Davison, who I've worked with for 13 years, people are saying, wow, you guys are so lucky you have access to that kind of patient and sophisticated capital. So if it, you know, in my mind, it's all positive because we wouldn't be where we are today if it weren't for Wexford. When we acquired Spring Valley, and Waterton called a $12 million convertible loan the day before we were closing on the transaction. I made a phone call to Chuck, got the money, closed on the deal. And relationships like that, good luck finding them. They're very rare. Okay, but you, you, that's not answering the, the question. It's like you, the, the well, let's, let's start with uh, Gavilanis uh, first of all, okay? It seems, it seems like surely that's been structured to benefit Wexford, you could you could you could have spun that kind of on as that into uh, with a number of other uh, companies, people, individuals. But because of the Wexford connection, that was the e easiest quick win, and these guys are going to make a lot of money on that deal, aren't they? Okay, so I'm glad we're talking specifics because just saying you know you know everything you do involves Wexford. Yeah, they're, they're our largest shareholder, they're controlling shareholder, they're helping us build these businesses. That's a generality. Now, with in specific to Swordfish, um, which I failed to mention in my intro, and that's a very big component to what Sailfish is now, because we're, we've announced that we're spinning out finally Gavilanis. And we've had conversations with many companies about Gavilanis ever since we put it into Sailfish, uh, which has been a, a, almost a few years now. And when you deal with other companies where there is no relationship, it, things can be difficult to structure. When we deal with ourselves, uh, they're a lot faster to structure and we have a common goal in mind. And in this case, it's get Gavilanis in a vehicle that can dedicate exploration capital. Because if I were spending money inside of Sailfish to drill Gavilanis, 
I wouldn't have money to buy back stock. I wouldn't have money to pay a dividend. I wouldn't have money or as much money to make this gold link loan that we made to Mako, which at 1750 gold to 2000 gold, which are the min and the max, there's a floor and a ceiling, yields me anywhere from 8% to 22%, which is a fantastic rate of return on a producing gold mine uh, where I have intimate knowledge because of my role at Mako. So getting more specific into the transaction with Swordfish, let's talk valuation. So in order to affect the transaction, the TSX Venture Exchange is requiring Swordfish to raise about 18 months worth of uh, budget, you know, to fund 18 months worth of a budget. That's around US 5 million. It'll include some drilling, some sampling, uh, a CSAMT study, you know, some things that hadn't been done in the past at Commonwealth and at Gavilanes, but primarily at Commonwealth. And we're doing that at a valuation pre-money of roughly 25 million US, which against our 48 million silver equivalent ounces puts us at around 50, 52 cents per silver equivalent ounce. The market today is closer to 85, 90 cents and historically has been closer to a dollar, but we're in a bit of a, of a downturn in the precious metals junior sector, as everyone knows. So that is an attractive valuation in and of itself. If you look at the history of how Commonwealth ended up inside of Wexford, Wexford had a bunch of debt that was due to them at Marlin. Marlin was the predecessor to Mako. When Marlin merged with Golden Rain to form Mako, Wexford said, okay, in order to get the deal done, I got to extinguish that debt. The way we decided to structure it was Wexford took Commonwealth in exchange for extinguishing that debt. That debt, including accrued interest, was over 75 million US dollars. So the whole of Swordfish, which includes both Commonwealth and Gavilanes, is going to be 25 million. So for anyone who's saying, oh, these guys are self-dealing, you know, it's all to the benefit of Wexford, Wexford's finding a way to, to steal and, and from, from investors, it's the opposite. I've been involved with these companies since the very beginning. Akiba and I created them. Every step of the way, Wexford has, has done things to help keep the companies public, to help keep them advancing. Don't forget that we, we made our first investment into the predecessor of Mako in 2012, February of 2012. It has been one of the biggest headwinds of any investment environment to be doing gold from 2012 to today. I mean, we've had a nice rally and we obviously hit all time highs, but even with that, the junior gold market's still a mess. So without Wexford, we, would, we wouldn't be here. You know, and, they, and they've been super supportive because of the long-term view that gold will see new all-time highs that are, will eclipse the previous ones that we've, we've experienced recently. And that all of this will have made sense, you know, with the royalty portfolio, with the producing mine now in Nicaragua, I'd throw Bonterra into the mix there, our turnaround uh, story up in Quebec. Um, Chuck at Wexford is a long-term patient investor. He's done this before in oil, investing through cycles. It's a commodity after all. And um, that's how I answer that question. It's a bit winded, Matt, but there's a lot of moving parts. Okay, no, okay. And I appreciate you um, responding. Talked about the 75. So the, the, the 75 million is, 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 is what? Something that Wexford has written off uh, in, in relation to Commonwealth and then used it what, as tax loss somewhere? I mean, have they, have they got some benefit out of it? Yeah, Wexford, sophisticated you know, investor, um, 
Chuck, the, the co-founder and CIO, very sophisticated guy. And there are rules that allow you to take losses like that and offset gains. So, so yes, you know, they're not going to uh, just let, let that sit on the books. That's a, that's that in and of itself is an asset. Um, but more importantly, they understand the public market and the arbitrage between the private and public market and the exchange is requiring us to raise money from people that are not Wexford. If we were getting the 5 million to fund the next 18 months at Swordfish from Wexford, we could have set the price wherever we wanted. But because we have to raise that external from people that are not related, can't be Sailfish, can't be Wexford. You know, we're not going to put Mako into this. Um, uh, and I think they would have an issue, the exchange would have an issue with that also because Wexford's a controlling shareholder of Mako. It has to be from other investors. So we have to price the deal to sell. Simple as that. That was a requirement of the exchange. Okay, get that bit. So how many shares do you get? How many shares do Wexford get? And how many shares are out there? So pre-money, Sailfish shareholders, remember this is going to be pushed out as a dividend, are getting about 22% of the company. Uh, the man, the management and the existing shell shareholders, because we're doing this with a numbered company, it's already publicly traded. We're putting the two assets in there. It saves us a lot of time from actually doing a formal IPO. It's I call it the Canadian IPO because everyone seems to do it. Um, that's that's roughly ten percent, and then you then Wexford through Commonwealth is the balance. Seventy-eight percent. Um, that right? So yeah, sixty-eight percent. Sorry. Yeah, so that those are the splits pre-money, and then the new investors coming in, of which Wexford will not be part of, which Sailfish will not be part of, will dilute both. And, and keep in mind, Matt, that Wexford also owns quite a bit of Sailfish, so that twenty-two percent is going to be uh, Wexford as well. Which is why the exchange is asking us to raise money from people other than Wexford or Wexford-controlled entities. Got it. Okay. So what do you, between uh, Gavilanes and Commonwealth, what, what, what do you have? What's the, what's the combined entity look like? Yeah. So on a silver equivalent basis, just to keep everything you know, in one metal, because Gavilanes is a polymetallic deposit. It's gold, or sorry, it's silver predominantly, about 85%. And then copper, lead, zinc, gold. But 85% is silver. And you've interviewed enough silver companies, Matt. They're primarily in Mexico, Peru, because that's where the silver is. And even the pure silver producers have usually lead and zinc and gold that come along with it. And then maybe some have copper, you know, because silver is not a primary metal. Um, there aren't very many silver-only mines. But the unique part about Gavilanes is that it is 85% silver, which is very high. And, and then Commonwealth is gold and silver. And at today's ratio, because you have gold trading, you know, 70x silver, uh, you know, it's, it's, prim it's primarily gold and also metallurgically uh, because the silver doesn't do too well in a heat bleach scenario. And that was the first iteration of this project. Although if it gets bigger, which is the plan to drill it and make it bigger, we will put in, um, when it's time to engineer this, we will put in a circuit that, it, that, that has a mill to recover more silver, but it's, it's more gold than it is silver, but that has almost no base metals, trace amounts of base metals. So it's gold and silver. Gavilanes is silver and 
some base in gold, but we were, we show this on a silver equivalent basis at 48 million ounces silver equivalent. Okay. Okay. Between the two. And it's roughly 50, 50. So how's this thing being built out? Because obviously Commonwealth hasn't got a great track record. Um, there was nothing really happening at Gavilanes. You, you need people in there who can build this thing out. You're, you're raising 5 million now. I guess that's a nice start, but that's not going to achieve too much really. Um, and I appreciate the market is, is slightly depressed now, but you've got to have a plan and, and some, and a team to deliver it. So when's all that announced? So we announced at Sailfish, let me look back at our press releases for the year. I believe this was in March. Um, that we had hired, yeah, March 15th, announces appointment of vice president, corporate development. That person is Paulo Lestrito. Paulo was a banker at a firm in Toronto called Red Cloud. Before that, he was a research analyst at a couple of um, shops in Canada. He is a rock mechanics engineer. He um, has been around mining since he was in his teens. You know, I think he worked at a coal mine at one point when he was a, a teenager. And um, very bright guy. We we know Paulo for a while. He actually brought us the token Tenzino uh, royalty, which we bought and sold. Um, that was the catalyst to taking Sailfish public. And so we, we've worked with Paulo. When he became available, we asked if he would take the helm of Swordfish and, and help raise the money, help put the deal together. And so he's been working inside of Sailfish since March with the plan to have him be the CEO of Swordfish. So it's not going to be me. It's not going to be Akiba. Akiba is going to be the chairman. I've decided to um, not take an officer or director role. So I won't be on the board. I won't be an officer. I'll be in the background. But um, between Sailfish, Mako, and Bontera, I've got my hands full. But we're expanding the team. We brought in Paulo. Okay. He's, um, he's also at Signature, isn't he? I think from memory. Um, yeah, he's the chairman of Signature. Right. That's right. Okay. So what's he actually done in terms of building companies? Because, um, you know, I think I, I haven't got the press race in front of me, but what's he done in terms of building companies out that gives you confidence that he's the guy for you, other than having introduced you to a big royalty in the past? Well, he directly has not done uh, or has not worked inside of a company that has, you know, built anything or, or, or grown into something uh, significant. But we have, and you know, Akiba is going to be involved. Jesse Munoz, who's the COO of Mako, who I have watched build Santa Elena for Silvercrest, El Gallo Phase One for McEwen Mining. Um, he finished off La Trinidad for us at uh, Marlin. He built San Albino during um, uh, the pandemic and two hurricanes at Mako. He lives in Tucson. His whole team's based in Tucson, which is a little. little uh, more than an hour away from from Commonwealth, he's bilingual. He has dual citizenship from the U.S. and Mexico. So doing uh, Gavilanes and Durango, at least the exploration phase of that, is not going to be a problem. And then we're going to be working with Matt Gray from Resource Geosciences, who has offices in both Arizona and Mexico, in Hermosillo, and then in um, in Southern Arizona. He has been working on the Commonwealth project since Marlin bought it and then it went into Wexford. So that whole time. And he is, his team is now mobilized at Gavilanes and, and Durango. They're resampling core, they're, they're re-logging core, they're taking you know, high definition photos of all the core. 
Um, and so, so we're not going to throw Paulo to the, to the lions on this one. We've got a team and, and we've got people that, uh, that are going to be there supporting them, including myself. You know, I'm not going to have a formal role, but I'm the guy that structured everything uh, in Gavilanes. I speak English. I speak Spanish. You know, I deal with the lawyers down in Mexico. Um, I'll be able, it's not like Paul is going to have to go down to Hermosillo and deal with um, any legal issues on Gavilanes. You know, we have people down there. I can coordinate with them. So he, he's going to be well supported. Right. But you know, you know what I mean? The, the CEO sets the tone, right? And you kind of want the, the lead guy. You've got an opportunity here, clean, clean sheet, uh, yeah, clean sheet uh, to appoint anyone you want. And you're kind of looking around to people that you worked with before. Why is that? Because you, you, you trust them and you prefer like a, this team model or could you have actually gone and hired oh, someone who's absolutely. De- delivered before? Oh, well, yes to both. And it depends who's available, when they're available, what stage the companies are in. Uh, before we jumped on this call, Matt, we were talking about uh, Bonterra. And that's been a turnaround. And there are still pieces of that turnaround that are yet to be put together, but it's coming. Uh, This one, because we had the asset coming from Wexford directly, because we had the asset coming from Sailfish, because we've we've had so much time directly with these assets. And we already had Matt at Resource Geosciences working on this, Jesse working on this. We really just needed somebody to be a figurehead to come in that can that knows the capital markets, that can devote the time. You know, one thing that Paulo did, he moved to Arizona. So he's he still has his place in Oakville in Toronto. He bought a place just outside of, of Phoenix. So he he's he's committed to this. And um, you know, uh, what, early on when we were getting involved directly as control investors in the precious metal sector, we backed. Uh, people who I regret backing to this very day. They were bad people. And um, it, for us, trust, being able to trust somebody is very important. So does Paulo have the track record of building mines or advancing them, developing them in a company? No. Does he have technical experience? Yes, he has a rock mechanics uh, degree. He has a lot of financial experience by being a research analyst, by being a banker. But more importantly, we trust him. We, we've, we've gone through many years of dealing with him. We've seen how he behaves and, and what he um, is, is all about as a person. And that's huge. That's 80% of the battle, in my opinion. Okay. So he's, he's gone and bought a house to be near. Okay. There's an interesting one. So how do you remunerate someone like that how do you get say one attract them okay uh because he's got other stuff going on and to incentivize them how do you get that balance between not paying them too much and incentivizing them to actually deliver i mean what are the targets you've set for instance financially or otherwise there's a recurring theme at all wexford portfolio companies mako sailfish bonterra in the precious metal sector and then on the oil side, that's a whole other world. But we have given Paulo shares. If you read the press release that talks about the spin out, it mentions that uh, Akiba, Paulo, myself, Jesse, and um, also Brian McKenzie, who's going to be the CFO of Swordfish, he's the CFO of Sailfish right now as well, are, 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 are shareholders of the numbered company. 
where these assets are getting dropped into. And we don't share the exact cap table, but I can tell you that Akiba and Paulo are the are number one and two on that table uh, because the expectation is, is that they're going to spend the most time on this um, and mainly Paulo. So that, that's how you incentivize a guy like that. You know, he's not doing it for a salary. He'll get a salary, but he's doing it for the equity upside and he's getting in at a nice valuation. Um, so that's, that's the scheme. That's how we're doing it. Okay. And then you, what you set specific deliverables against which they get graded and shares get allocated as well. Options get allocated rather, I should say. That's, that's separate. And right. yes, we will do that. And I've been spending a lot of time with uh, compensation plans at Mako. We just, um, we just uh, did our first omnibus equity plan that includes RSUs, DSUs, PSUs. And there's a whole world that we, I was just not familiar with outside of options to compensate management. We're getting more savvy. Swordfish is not at that level yet. The expectation is we'll give Paulo options in addition to his founder shares in the, in the uh, shell company that we're using to, to affect the deal. But, uh, you know, it's just it's a startup. And uh, there's plenty of upside from the level he's coming in to, to where we think this can go uh, to get him started. They're kind of funny things, though. And this is a topic that comes up. It's reoccurring. You know, how do junior companies allocate themselves, founder shares, cheap shares, whatever you want to call them? Um, how do they continue to reward themselves with options on delivering against share price, you know, deliverables in terms of operationally, et cetera? You, you can bring people in and say, we've got independently verified or we're lowest quartile, whatever. But the, the, the truth is you guys set the bar there and you've got to be cognizant of what, you know, the fact that shareholders would probably, you know, not be happy if you overpaid yourselves or remunerated yourselves well, but it, do, it does happen in this industry a lot. So how, how, do you, how do you kind of set the tone so that you say, well, actually, look, we're trying to do this in a responsible way. Uh, we're not paying ourselves, you said, you're not paying yourself a salary, but you will take shares and options. Um, so how do, you, how do you do that over at um, Swordfish? Well, Swordfish, it's going to be a lot like Sailfish in the beginning, where most of the money goes into the ground. Um, we ha- we're cross-pollinating the company with people who already work under our portfolio of companies. So Jesse, Brian, there's, they're not going to double dip. It's not like Jesse's going to take the same salary he's taking at Mako. Mako's producing gold. We, we did just under 8,300 ounces last quarter. Uh, we're going to do over 10,000 in the fourth quarter at big margins. It's making money. We can pay Jesse what he deserves to get paid there at Swordfish. He's going to be doing this for, um, you know, a small amount, maybe it's all equity. You know, I, I, I haven't had this conversation with Jesse yet, but you know, I'm sure he'd be okay with something like that. You know, Brian, same thing is that he's the CFO of Sailfish. Sailfish has tons of cash on the balance sheet. It has cash flow from the Goldlink note, from the stream at San Albino. We can pay Brian a competitive salary for the size of our company there at Swordfish. We can't. I actually think it's an advantage. Because if I was putting this company together with fully dedicated people, which it really doesn't require out of the gate, my GNA was, is going to be you know a couple million bucks, you know just just to get four or five top quality guys, a VPX, a CEO, a CFO, um, you know those three at a minimum, and then maybe a COO. Yeah, I mean the, the GNA would be would be high, but because we can pull people from other projects, and then I'll be in the background, you know. 
helping out and, and making sure Apollo has all the institutional knowledge that I have from putting these things together. Uh, so he's not out there on his own, you know, swimming alone in the ocean. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a tricky balance. What I've seen historically as an investor, the people who are actually trying to rip off shareholders, they don't do it through equity. They could care less about equity because equity, you need the, the stock to go up um, for you to make money. That's not such an easy thing. They do it through high cash salaries and, and, and guaranteed bonuses and, and things of that nature. They, they don't do it through um, giving themselves a bunch of equity. No, it's, it's a fair point you make. And, and, and yeah, I mean, we, we spoke to a company a couple of weeks back, two, three weeks ago, and they, they removed a management services team who were gouging the company for 60,000 bucks a month covering all sorts of stuff, which this company was far too small to, uh, you know, quite frankly, shouldn't have been paying. So I just, it's kind of interesting that that people who create value, who create an upside for shareholders deserve to be remunerated for the risk they take early on and and get paid as such. But there's also, it leaves a bad taste in the mouth when you go, hey, you're going to be picking up, let's say, keep the math simple, 100,000 bucks a year, five days a week on this company, but you've created a spin out. So we're going to pay you 100,000 bucks over there too. You've just double your salary, same amount of time. And, you know, companies that keep keep doing that, it, it just kind of leaves a bad taste in the mouth a, a little bit. Well, look at look at Mako and Sailfish, Matt. Could we pay ourselves a salary at Sailfish? Sure. Do we? No. I take one from Mako. I don't take one from Sailfish. It's to the benefit of Sailfish shareholders. I do take options, however, and I do exercise my options and, and do all those things. And um, But... You have to remember, Matt, and I know you do, you, these interviews are always provocative for the benefit of the viewers, but you've, you've spoken to enough companies, you know the games and you've identified them yourself, um, but we're not about that because we are investors, right? We, we came into this as investors. We were forced to operate these assets and companies ourselves, and we've built a team around us that are, that's technically savvy and competent. But um, we still have those battle scars from getting taken advantage of in the junior sector as when we were just passive investors trying to figure out why certain things were happening or not happening and why these people behaved the way that they did. So oh, no, 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 you're right. We, we won't have companies. We know who the players are. We know the games. We get feedback all the time from CEOs about stuff that's going in the industry. And it's quite frankly, frightening. Uh, we won't have those companies on here. So I appreciate you talking about that. It's just all quite educational. Uh, these are the conversations that happen out there. It's always good to understand all the moving parts. So let, let's come back to uh, the Mako mining loan deal. Okay. So you've got them out of a hole, helped their share price, helped your share price. So the market reacted positive, positively to that. Um, just remind us the, the terms uh, there and then perhaps uh, let's kind of focus on why uh, it is a good thing for both sides. Sure. So we had sold Token Tenzinho, the second part, to Cisco Royalties. And the first part went to Metalla. Both easy transactions to execute on, both sides professional. And then we had all this cash. And we knew we were going to start paying a dividend with the cash flow coming in from San Albino and all the cash we had on the balance sheet. At the time, Mako had just finished um, 
you know, commissioning San Albino. That happened July 1. And the deal we announced on August uh, 30th. So um, San Albino is commissioned, for the most part de-risked. And Mako had two lenders, Wexford and then Nabari. And Wexford being the largest shareholder and us having a relationship, a longstanding relationship with Wexford, easy to deal with, friendly lender. Nabari, they're a true third party. They also happen to be friendly and easy to deal with, which we got lucky on. Sometimes the relationships with the lenders aren't like that. And, I, and we've even told the guys at Nabari, you have any reference calls that you need, that people need to make, whether they're your investors at your fund level or companies looking to borrow money from you, send them our way. We had an amazing time with them. They were up and down in Nicaragua, which is not such an easy country bureaucratically and also from political risk perspective to make a loan in. And it was, it was great. But they have certain requirements. They had certain covenants in place that they just were not flexible on. It says a lot about them, you know, their underwriting discipline. And we wanted all the flexibility that we could get at Mako. For example, Mako announced on the back of refinancing the debt uh, through Sailfish on Nabari that they were going to start doing a buyback. You know, they extended the loan with, with Wexford and we repaid Nabari and we're starting an NCIB. We couldn't have done that if the Nabari loan was still in place. And you, the reaction on the stock that day was quite dramatic. So it was the right thing to do for shareholders. We, Sailfish was sitting on a bunch of cash. Sailfish gets yield now on that cash rather than just simply paying it out over time and, and supplemented by the cash flow, which is, which is growing uh, from San Albino. So for us, it was a win-win. And, and we did it. You know, and when I had discussions with the Sailfish board, they said, look, we already have a stream, we have a royalty, we have exposure there. Um, you, can't you just go out and talk to another mining company that's in production that you can make a loan to on similar terms so that it's more arm's length? And I, I laughed because I have phone calls with companies all the time. You interview companies all the time. It's not so easy if a company is already in production on a mine that we would actually care to lend against right? I know everything about San Albino. I know how high grade it is. I know the people running it. I know I get daily reports. I, wouldn't, I don't have access to that kind of information from company X, Y, or Z. And then you have to deal with the CEO and CFO and management team of company X, Y, and Z to get a deal like this. It was a very good deal for us. It was a good deal for Mako. And, I could do, and we could get it done with a few phone calls amongst ourselves. And so we, we did it. You know, going out and trying to do that exact same deal with a third party take months if you can even get it done. Just, just tell me this. Okay, sorry, I do, just noticed. Um, I'm not quite sure why you still got the word royalty in your in your uh, name. Quite frankly, it should be like sailfish consolidated or something. So because you're doing different types of structures. Yeah, we, we we talked about this in the past, haven't we? So I'm not quite sure. Yeah you know, what you want to be, um, but you do want to make money. So the, the the loan deal, I get why it kind of works for, for both parties. And quite frankly, the fact that you know each other, I think is is, is helpful. Did you, I, I, were there any kind of punitive or onerous um, uh, conditions to the Navari um, uh, facility, which, which uh, Mako had? 
which have now been removed. Is that why the market reacted like it did? Oh, absolutely. The, the headline one was the ability to pay a dividend. Right with that Nabari loan in place, it would not have been possible, or sorry, not pay a dividend to uh, repurchase shares. It would not have been possible to take cash and go around the debt and buy shares, which we now have the ability to do. Um, not saying we're going to go run out and do that. Um, we have a high cost coupon to Wexford. The priority is to pay that down, but if our shares go down to a level which um, we think does, is not reflecting the value of the business. Yeah, we can step in and support it. Not, it's a pretty nice tool to have. Uh, the Nabari debt, and I don't want to get into too many details. It, it also had um, a working capital covenant, a minimum cash covenant. The way we're running Mako right now, I say we because I'm an officer of Mako as well, is that we want to be as aggressive as possible to give ourselves, to pay down the debt to Wexford specifically as quickly as possible. And in order to do that, we might have to run a higher than normal working capital balance. We, we are, we've developed good relationships with our contractor, our mining contractor, with our suppliers. We know who, where we can have a month or two of uh, you know, outstanding payables with. We know the people that need to be paid up front. We know the people that need to be paid you know, on delivery of, of supplies. So we, we've developed that rela- those relationships and we want to optimize our balance sheet. With, with, with the Nabari Debt, we weren't able to do that because there was a certain uh, working capital number that needed to be met and cash balance that needed to be met, um, which now we can, if we want to run at half a million dollars, you know, cash balance or, or a hundred thousand or 200,000, however low we want to go, we can go with before with the Nabari, we, there was a number, I don't I want to get into specifics where we couldn't go below that. And that's just tying up cash that we could actually use to repay Wexford, you know, um, so it, it really liberated the company to, to do that. Okay, so why, but why did Wexford take the opportunity to you know, take out 1.8 million bucks of, of, of funds uh, owing? I mean, sure, they're, but their balance sheet is big enough. They don't, they don't, they don't need it. What, what, what were you sort of cleaning up there? So they actually didn't want it. We did it so that we can take as much money from Sailfish that was prudent. We didn't want to take the whole 10 million but we thought eight million was a reasonable amount, and make money on that. To 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 make that today. So at seventeen fifty gold, it's around an eight percent IRR. The first payment already went through for September, and the average gold price for the month of September using the London PM fix was like seventeen seventy something. So we're at a little higher than an eight percent coupon at the at the present time. Um, gold looks great, you know. The, it, the, it caps out at 2000 and at 2000, this, this is closer to a 22% uh, rate of return on that money. I, I wanted that upside. You know, I wanted exposure to that. And 8 million was a number I decided on at Sailfish that, um, you know, we on the Mako board said, okay, you know, we can do that and we'll pay, we'll pay the, the spillover to Wexford and reduce that debt. Uh, but it was really something that Sailfish pushed on. Okay. Wanted to put that money to work. Well, yeah, you have, and you're getting a co- clipping a coupon. Great, and it's with people you know, fantastic. But for for Mako, they were looking to refinance that out. Were they struggling to, you know, have conversations elsewhere? Or, you know, were you doing them a favor by doing? I know you're making, you're getting eight percent ish, but you, you're a royalty company. It says it in the your 
the name, right? So you're a royalty company, you should be chasing down royalties. So why, what was that conversation like? Because I know you're all sitting on each other's boards and it's, it's, it's kind of you're talking all the time. Yeah, we but, could have... Um, do you know what I mean? So, it's, it's, it's problematic for you because people, again, come back to that thing of people don't know what you are. You know, and we have talked in the past about, well, maybe it's a royalty company. We, we should do roll-up of royalty companies and maybe that's a smart way to go. But is, 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 is this going to cause you problems further down the line? I don't think so. Our stock's trading at a 52-week high. Um, and... If you think about it, uh, I had a conversation with the, the guys from Wheaton Precious Metals at Beaver Creek, and we were talking about a financing they recently did where they put in equity, where they, they structured a royalty, some type of, of stream as well. You know, you have to get creative these days, just doing uh, royalties that are, you know, like the ones that were done in the 70s and 80s. I'd love to. You know, I don't have a time machine though, Matt. So you, you, we have to get creative in how we do it, who we do it with. And um, yeah, I think that's the new normal. I, I think when you get on this platform and meet other royalty companies, they're going to be talking about some creative structures that they also have, have worked on. And I think that's just the new, new phase. And royalty companies, there's a reason why former bankers, analysts, you know, not necessarily technical people, but finance people, uh, do well in the royalty structure because it's just another source of funding, largely for development stage assets. Right. It, it, it was a question I asked a couple of weeks ago of a royalty company, which, which you know, it, it is, you know, how much, because royalties were new once, right? It was a new idea. And, um, but money's money, right? So if I've got money, I want to I make more money. I'm, I may choose to lend it out under certain terms and conditions on a piece of paper, which you and I mutually uh, agree, agree to. And that, that, that's, that's the na nature of uh, simply, very simply, the nature of, of, of a transaction here. So do you think you, we are going to see royalty companies have to come up with more, more and more innov innovative ways to structure these deals? Will they be called royalties? Will they have to work with an, like an, like you explained with Wheaton there, and with a number of different facets to it, different part components to it, you know what's what's going to change? Because it's it's clear to me that you're you're kind of all over the place with you know you don't mind how you make money, just and call it what you want. It seems absolutely yes. I th and if and if you look at the larger cap royalty companies, that's exactly what they're doing. They're getting very creative uh, in the way they structure deals to give them more exposure across the, the capital structure, equity, debt, royalties, streams. Yeah. It's the new, it's the new normal in the, in the royalty sector. But what is the, what do you think, I, that, I like, what do you think that, that means for you though? What, what do you think? You like the name royalty. What do you think it means for you guys though, in terms of the way that you can attract money? Cause oh, I get Wexler is a big holder, but you, if you can show a new way of working and a new way of financing, um, or derivatives thereof, you could attract more money into an operation like this. So what, what, what do you think it's got to look like in the future to, to work better? I think uh, a dividend is, is a key component to this whole um, you know, business model. And, and that's because we're looking at it from our experience in the oil and gas sector, where um, you know, I used to work with the CFO of a company called BlackRock Minerals, a guy named Jeff Wood. We worked together at Lehman Brothers. They pay out a big, hefty dividend, and that's normal. 
And there are investors, especially in the U.S., who like to get you know six, seven percent dividend yield. We're not at that level. We're you know in the, in the low fours now because our stock's gone up. But when we announced it, we were just over five percent. And you know, I think that's part of the component for for shareholders. And then how we generate the cash to pay that dividend, so long as it's linked to gold and silver, which is what we care about. And uh, right now we've, we're focused on the in the Americas. That's another constraint we put on ourselves. We can do stuff elsewhere, but we have a lot of expertise doing things in, in these time zones, um, Latin America and North America. So um, I think that we will have plenty of demand. I mean, you can see it in our, in our share price now. Um, do we need money from outside sources to take down bigger deals? Yeah. Are we looking at bigger, bigger deals right now? No. I think there's enough stuff that's kind of scrappy that we can um, can look at. And, and here's a sea change, Matt, is that uh, every interview I've had with you since the very first one where I probably didn't sound so enthusiastic and you, you pointed that out, is that um, we sold TZ, we're spinning out Gavilanis, we haven't bought anything since since Terraco, but maybe I'm, I'm looking at something now that I wanna buy. And um, it's because our stock is starting to trade more in line with what, where it should be which gives us flexibility to use our shares to, to do acquisitions. And um, there are, we, we have relationships where we have access to transactions that other people don't. So, um, you know, we're just in this, we're opportunistic. You know, Wexford, when I joined in 2008, I think they still have it on their website. I haven't looked in a while. They had uh, on all their PowerPoints and marketing materials, uh, this mantra, independent thinking, opportunistic investing. And I've worked alongside Charles Davidson, well, not alongside, you know, under him, he's a co-founder CIO and um, for, for 13 years. And so a lot of that has rubbed off on me and on Akiba. Um, so no surprise that that's how we're running our companies, you know, independent thinking, opportunistic investing. But that's, that gets very hard to be predictive about what you're going to do next, whether it's going to be a good move or not, whether you're actually truly replicating skill sets or scenarios which have made you money in the past. So, and and if you're scrapping around, to use your phrase, it it doesn't sort of infer scale or, 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 or potential for scale there. And that's what normally people want to hear. They want to hear a growth story. So you can sort of see why entrepreneurs who make it, everyone loves it, but most of them don't. So you know, again, how do you strike the balance between what, what you've learned and what's rubbed off on you and making this story something that's going to be your focus, that is going to make shareholders money? You've talked about you've got Bonterra, you've got Mako, you've obviously now got Swordfish going on as well. Do we need to be investing in a basket of, of com- Wexford companies to be able to see the upside? Or can your company, Sailfish Royalty, do it for investors too? No, each company is its own individual story. They, we have common shareholding and even management. Uh, so the theme is going to be similar, but you know, Quebec is different than Nicaragua and royalties are different than operating assets and silver is different than gold. So we, we carpet, uh, compartmentalize the, the, the stories, but in the back you have kind of the same cast of characters. It's like that Eddie Murphy movie where he played 10 different <laughs> characters, you know, and they're all at the dinner table at the same time. I, that was a great scene. Um, it's a little like that. We're, we're not as funny as Eddie Murphy, but, um, 
you know, we, we are having fun doing all of this. And um, look, with regards to scale, I'd love to have scale. I've, I, Matt, how many times have I come on here and talked about, you know, I'd love for somebody to merge with me, hint, hint, wink, wink. And we have these conversations with people and they fizzle out and I can't control somebody else. I can only control myself. So I'll, I'll do what makes the most sense at the time and keep doing it. Um, when the opportunity comes around to partner with somebody else and, and get scale and be relevant and be in the GDXJ and have a broader shareholder base, more liquidity, happy to do so. But I can't control that other side of the equation. See, so good catch up. Thanks for getting in the weeds there and explaining what's been going on. Um, stay in touch. Let us know how you get on with um, obviously sword, Swordfish specifically. And obviously Mako is a big part of your success uh, at Selfish Royalty as well. So look, we'll, um, in fact, I think we're having, I think we're having Akiba on later this week. There you go. Yeah. I've been going first and then Akiba goes next. So he watches my interviews to make sure we're, we're in alignment. <laughs> Makes it easier for me because then I'd have to watch him. You, you, you're taking one for the team there. Hey, um, good to see you. Uh, stay in touch. See you soon. Okay. All right. Thank you, Matt. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com and of course our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming and we'll speak to you again soon.